Good morning. Welcome to The Daily Cast, a podcast to start the day on Kilcullen Diary. I'm Brian Byrne. It's Thursday, the 27th of May, 2021. Shortly, we'll look at the life of the man who created the famous Ripley's Believe It or Not newspaper cartoon panels. And we'll look back at the Battle of Old Kilcullen in 1798, which was happening in this week of that year. Weather first, though. A nice start will give a morning of hazy sunny spells. Cloud will increase by lunchtime and from mid-afternoon there's a likelihood of showers which will develop into persistent rain through the evening. Highest temperatures today, 14 degrees in a moderate southerly breeze. Our person of interest today is Leroy Robert Ripley, the originator of the Ripley's Believe It or Not comic strip that developed into radio and TV shows and a plethora of museums. Born in 1890 in Santa Rosa, California, at the age of 16 he dropped out of school to help his family after his father's death. He began working as a sports cartoonist for various newspapers. He moved to New York in 1913 and while working for the New York Globe, he created the first Believe It or Not cartoon. It was well received and so began to run weekly. He made a trip around the world in 1922, publishing a newspaper travel journal series. And he became fascinated with the unusual that he found in different cultures and places all of which were potential subject matters for his cartoon panels. In 1923, he hired a full-time researcher to establish the truth of odd stuff coming in from readers. In 1929, the cartoon went to the King Features Syndicate, managed by publishing giant Randolph Hearst, and it made its global debut in 17 newspapers around the world. The first book collection of his material followed soon afterwards. And in that same year, Ripley noted in one panel that the US had no national anthem, despite the widespread belief that the Star-Spangled Banner was such. And that resulted in a law passed in 1931, officially making it so. Ripley knew the value of being part of the bazaar himself, and he recorded radio shows from underwater, from the sky, from the bottom of the Grand Canyon, and various other oddity locations. He continued with highly publicised overseas trips, financed by the Hearst Corporation. By the end of the 1930s, despite the Great Depression, he was wealthy and had a large staff of researchers, translators and secretaries to handle the vast range of information that was being sent in. Ripley opened his first museum, the Auditorium, in Chicago in 1933. Five more followed in San Diego, Dallas, Cleveland, San Francisco and New York City. In 1948 he closed his popular radio show and moved into television, but completed only 13 episodes before dying from a heart attack on this day in 1949. The panel continued to be drawn by a series of artists for another 40 years, and today a range of Ripley-themed parks, museums, television shows and attractions continue to be operated by Ripley Entertainment, owned by Canada's largest privately owned company. And I have in my late father's scrapbook a Ripley cartoon that reports on boxer Dan Donnelly, not unknown in these parts, drinking 47 tumblers of whiskey in a session without harm but subsequently dying after drinking a glass of water while overheated. Believe it or not. Now to our feature of the day, 
and last Monday was the anniversary of the beginning of the Battle of Old Kilcullen, one of the major encounters in the 1798 rebellion. In recent years, it has been the day when retired school principal and avid local historian Jerry O'Donoghue talks to groups on the site of the battle about what happened and its importance. Talking to me last evening, he set the scene. Basically, it began in Ballymore uh, on the on the midnight uh, uh, of the twenty third stroke, twenty fourth of May. They rang the rebels rang the church bell in Ballymore, Eustace, and uh, the soldiers from the local barracks came to see what was going on. And uh, three of them were were shot there. And Captain Erskine, who was quartered in uh, Kilkee Castle, was in charge of this general area. And uh, he famously swore that he wouldn't eat or drink or sleep until he'd eat the liver of the Ballymore men. So he was on his way to Ballymore when he saw that a group of uh, rebels had, as- had assembled at Old Kilcullen. So I suppose his dander was up, as they say, and very foolishly uh, he ordered his cavalry to charge the-, the rebels up a very, very narrow laneway. The lanes around Kilcullen are, are narrow enough, but they were even narrower then. And he was repulsed three times and he ended up being killed himself, along with a Captain Cook, who was with the Romney Festivals and also 37 of their enlisted men. So it was a, it was a pretty horrific encounter. Uh, the rebels then, they, they retreated to, uh, in the, to Kilcullen, and uh, depending on what version you believe, there was quite an amount of, of, uh, of looting and, uh, and drinking went on. And then they assembled on the Nace Road, and General Dundas, by feigning an attack and then a retreat, he lured them onto the road there, and they were scattered. Uh, Ended up going across to Edgarvan, back by Sunnyhill and back up to Macaulay. So the whole incident in Kilcullen lasted from early in the morning until late in the evening, but uh, it ended up with about 120 people killed from roughly where Dunley's garage is now, across by Green Hills into Edgarvan and back around to Sunnyhill. They were chased by the Harristown cavalry, and I think this brings us back to the who fears to speak element, because obviously the Harristown cavalry were made up of Kilcullen tenants of uh, of Robert Latouche of, of Harriston, and unfortunately they were involved in the killing of Kilcullen people who were on the rebel side. But actually, one of the things that really struck me was that we are used now to the concept of refugees or internally displaced people, but the roads from Kilcullen and South Kildare heading to Nace were choked with refugees, mostly loyalists who piled whatever they could onto their wagons and carts with their women and children, and escorted by some of the yeomen, they made their way to, to Nace, where they felt they were going to be safe. So you can imagine the terror that uh, seeing houses all around you being burned. In fact, uh, New Park House, which uh, until recently was the home of the Phelan family, that was the first house uh, in Kildare to be burned during the uh, during the Rising, even though Gerskine had burned the cabins at Old Kilcullen before that. So when you come down to the ordinary people's level, whether they were loyalists or whether they were rebels, it was a horrendous time, a time of of uncertainty and fear. At the end of the four days, the remaining rebels in the Kilcullen area surrendered on Nacolin Hill to General Dundas. And they got a very good deal. General Dundas gave them very, very good terms, actually. He told them that if they surrendered their weapons, that he would allow them to return to their homes, which they did. And depending again on what account you believe, there were wagon loads of uh, of weapons were surrendered on Knockholland Hill, and pretty much the people the people then dispersed. Um, 
and apparently uh, the countryside around Kilcullen in particular settled down apart from for about a year or so. Uh, there were various trials, and in fact, there are records of several people having been executed in Kilcullen on foot of rebellion and on foot. I suppose some of the thuggery that went on at the time in terms of looting and uh, people never missed an opportunity, I suppose, to set all scores, you know. So the, the, the fallout from it lasted for several years, in ter- you know, because of trials and because of of, uh, of people being, um, I suppose, attainted and uh, uh, people being transported, in fact, as well because of their involvement. Jerry O'Donoghue has long had a special interest in Old Kilcullen and in the 1798 events. I asked him how that had come about. It came initially from the, 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 the sheer beauty of Old Kilcullen and the monastic section there. I thought it was such a wonderful place. And I was in Kilcullen for a couple of years before I realised actually that there was a significant uh, conflict there. And I became fascinated by the fact that it was, uh, you know, so many local people were involved. And I began researching and learning as much as I could and talking to people as much as I could. And I'm still talking and still learning. But it's just uh, not quite obviously in living memory, but I mean, it's not that many generations ago, ago as it was. The conflict took place. And uh, on Monday, when we were there with the, uh, with the children, one of the teachers looked around. You could see um, into Leash and Offaly and into Wicklow and North Dublin over the beautiful countryside and he remarked you know isn't this a country worth fighting for you know and I suppose it's 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 a, it's a, the whole idea of 1798 and who fears to speak and all that is very evocative and the fact that there was such activity at local level right on our doorstep I mean who could not be interested at least that's what I think anyway. That reference to the school children was about last Monday when pupils from several classes in Skull Reed trekked up to Old Kilcullen in the morning, accompanied by their teachers. It was fantastic because many of them were actually in costume on both sides of the conflict on that day, and uh, while they didn't quite stage mock mentally, it, it was very evocative to see them marching up the lane, you know, as probably the scene would have looked about 220 whatever years it is ago. I suppose what really struck me was the the depth and breadth of knowledge that they actually had about the conflict, you know, and it wasn't in any kind of good guys and bad. They actually got some of the subtleties and nuances of the conflict, you know, that were they're extraordinarily switched on, and it seems to be to have struck a chord with them. That play was was I think was a, a landmark in many ways because 1798 will never be forgotten again in Kilcullen, I'd say. And that play was one performed by Skullvreed pupils back in 2019 as part of the Kilcullen 700 celebrations. Jerry O'Donoghue says that when at Old Kilcullen at around this time, there's a very strong presence of what happened there back in 1798, which this year was enhanced by a chance encounter. Just as we were beginning to talk to the kids on Monday, um, two horse riders came just gently trotting up the road and just the clip-clop of those hooves. I mean, you can imagine the spectacle of 30 or 40 uh, mounted soldiers, you know, charging up up a hill. You know, it's it's uh, it's very seeable. You know, it's very it's very easy to visualise it. And I suppose that the landmark that brings it all back to us is uh, the famous grave of Patrick Cullen. That still mystifies me because I haven't been able to to trace him. And it's there's a, a very simple headstone that says. Uh, pray for Patrick Cullen, the part of this life 
on the 24th of May, 1798, aged 24. So that young man's grave, as long as it's there beside the tower, will always remind me, certainly, of 1798 and the 24th of May. I just love to know who he was and uh, who his forebears were and who his descendants were. I'm sure they must be still around. Jerry O'Donoghue, recalling the events of this week in 1798 in the Now, as always, a quick run through the news headlines of the day. The Leinster leader previews Junefest, the long-running Newbridge Festival that is back this year, and also reports problems that the Kildare County Council is having in finding contractors for landscaping projects. KFM Radio News has a couple of housing stories, one on an imminent decision on a proposal for hundreds of new homes in NACE, the other headlining a call on the council to pause any large-scale home leasing with third parties, and that's from a group of Fine Gael councillors. The Kildare Nationalist notes that today is Mind Your Selfie Day, when people are asked to share how they've looked after their mental health over the last 12 months. From the national sources, RTE has the hopeful news that the Cabinet is to look at further easing of Covid restrictions in June and July. The Irish Times headlines a promise of no dramatic changes when Covid supports will begin a phased withdrawal from late in the year. The Examiner also has that easing of restrictions story highlighting pressure from within Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. And The Independent gives its main space to a warning from experts that we're going back too fast relating to numbers of up to 15 being allowed at a table in pubs and restaurants. Yep, there's always an expert. And on that, we'll close the Daily Cast for today. I'm Brian Byrne. Have a good day and thanks again, as always, for listening.